Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16. I repeat, let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. You gladly put up the fools since you gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received the Jews, from the Jews, the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, endangered from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressures of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn. If I must boast, I'll boast of all the things that show my weaknesses. Let us say our scriptural declaration together. Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our heart's pursuit and our life's practice. Well, thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, worship team. And thank you, everyone, for being here and being a part of things today. Uh, we are finishing up today as we have been going through the Apostle Paul, his life and his letters. There's a kind of a list of the messages that we've had up to this point and kind of talk a little bit about where we've been. It's right here on the screen. And then today you are going to go along with me what we find that Paul left behind. And the idea here is to just kind of bring this all to a close and to be very honest with you, I mean, we could go on and on and on about Paul. There is just so much in the scriptures about him, so much that we could learn from him, but I try to keep it moving and we don't want to go too long, but this is our ninth week and today we're going to kind of put the wraps on it, knowing that we could keep going, but I also know I'd rather leave some meat on the bone than make it feel like we're still doing Paul 32 weeks later. I hope you guys understand what I'm saying. But we're going to talk a little bit about what we find that Paul left behind. And I want to start right here. 
If you look at this list of the things that Paul has gone through, you can see that there were things that talked about his origin and how he was not exactly a great guy whenever God called him. There's a rejection of the self-reliance because that's what Paul tended towards. He's a type A personality. He's not a guy who's going to wait and let others take control. He's going to take the, the reins and run with things. He had a thorn in the flesh. He was not in any way dealing with an easy life that was just constantly wonderful and no problems at all. And so if you begin to kind of go down this list, you understand that Paul might seem like a guy who had so much grace poured out in his life that he had no problems. But the truth of the matter is, is that he had a lot of things going on. He just had an overwhelming amount of grace that was poured out on him that overtook those problems and issues. And when we look at Paul and his life, I hope that you were remembering and realizing that the truth is, is that he was not a saint. I mean, he eventually became Saint Paul, but not because he was perfect. You see, we as people tend to try to put people up on a pedestal and say, oh, they're a saint, they're incredible. And yeah, he had an incredible life and he had a life to emulate and to follow. But I want to be very clear. That is usually us as human beings that want to put people up on a pedestal. You begin to look back in the scriptures and you don't see Paul being put up on a pedestal. As a matter of fact, you see him as a human being who had doubts and failures and times that he thought he knew what he was supposed to do and he didn't. And then God kind of correcting him and sending him in a new direction. He had squabbles and quarrels with God's people who were also leaders. And so he is not this saint who lived this perfect life. He is a man just like you and just like me. And I know not all of you are men, but you understand. He is a human being who had failures and fallings and fails uh, all throughout his life, but yet he stays on that path and continues to do what God has him to do. So in that thing that I'm sharing with you, I want to go to this next quote and kind of encourage you with this. Every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. I don't know if today you look at yourself and say, uh, I'm a sinner, or if you look at yourself and say, I'm a saint. Well, I love this quote because it reminds us of this. If you think you're a saint, I'm here to tell you, you've got a past. I know that is true. And if you are a person who considers himself a sinner, I'm telling you that you have a future that God can get a hold of, change, and transform. So no matter who you are, you have a past and you have a future that God can have his fingerprints all over. Can I get an amen on that? I don't know if you guys understand what I'm saying, but ultimately it is about God and his ability to change our path and change us if we will surrender to him. That's a big word. We'll get there a little more down in the sermon. Let's go to our something to learn. And this is our something to learn that Paul's appeal to Caesar, which was his right as a Roman citizen, imprisoned him in Rome for about two years under house arrest. That's listed in Acts 28. But then there was another full uh, two years just before that time in Rome that was by the Jews in Caesarea under governors Felix and Festus, and they kept him there. So he was kind of on the sidelines by most people's accounting for four full years. And then after his release, most Bible scholars believe that he went on a fourth and final undocumented missionary journey. And that's really important to the things that we're going to share today as we look at five characteristics from Paul that you and I can take. And we'll go a little deeper on some of those as we look at what he's done. But that brings us to our big idea a little early in the message. And it's right here. 
Paul showed us what a person crucified with Christ looks like and lives like. And that is the one to remember that you guys might have remembered. It's the the passage of scripture that says, I am crucified with Christ and therefore I no longer live, but instead I live through Christ who lives within me. And so the whole pattern of my life has changed because I've been crucified with Christ. And so as we look at Paul, that wasn't just lip service. That wasn't just a good thing to say. It was really how he lived his life. So if you guys would jump in here with me on the big idea, I usually have you guys share it with me as we say it together on the count of three. Would you guys ready? Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. Paul shows us what a person crucified with Christ looks like and lives like. So now I ask you, if somebody were to read that passage of scripture that says, I am crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I that live, but it's the power of Christ that lives in me, if they saw that scripture and thought, uh, I wonder if that's what all Christians are supposed to be like, and then they knew that you were a Christ follower, that you were a believer, would they be able to put that two and two together? And say, you know what? I know exactly what it means to be crucified with Christ because I've seen fill in the blank with your name. Because ultimately, we are often the only Bible that anybody ever reads. We're the only thing that people can interpret scripture through whenever we talk about how much Christ means to us. And then we don't live like we've been crucified with Christ. Then the problem becomes it's harder and harder for God's influence to truly change people's lives. And that is so needed in our world today. And if it's ever going to get done, it's not going to get done because a law gets passed, but it's going to be done because God's people start living the way that we should, the way that we know we can through his power rather than our own. So real quickly, let's talk about Jesus in this passage because Jesus is from the beginning to the end, from Genesis through Revelation. He's in every passage. And I think that Jesus is found in the way that Paul embraced personal sacrifice of his own rights and a willingness to suffer for God's will to be accomplished. Paul himself later wrote about it in Philippians chapter two, which basically says, hey, if there's any kind of consolation of being one in Christ, then have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who laid aside every right he had so that he could humble himself and give himself for death on a cross so that we might be saved. Therefore, God has highly exalted him that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. You guys know the rest of this. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that is what Paul is talking about. And that's where we see him in this passage of scripture as well. So I'm going to hit these characteristics and we're going to go through them pretty quick. But I think if you look back over the uh, messages and the series that we've shared with you guys from characteristic one through five, they're all there and there'll be, th- there'll be things that you kind of remember about your story that you've heard from this. So let's go to characteristic number one. Characteristic number one of Paul is that he was willing to admit his mistakes. We should be willing to admit our mistakes uh, and really, that's what the, uh, the, the, the Damascus Road experience was all about, Paul, and Paul was all about that. It seemed like he constantly talked about it from beginning to the end. He always said, I was on the wrong path, and then God arrested me and turned me in a brand new direction. Now, I know that that seems pretty basic, 
But I don't know how it is somehow, (laughs) but we as Christians have found a way to admit that we were sinners, but not make it sound sinful. Can I get an amen? You don't know what I'm talking about? It's like, well, I wasn't perfect. (laughs) And then we just kind of keep going, right? So we never really get down to the nitty gritty and say, you know what, man, I was really lost out there. I thought I had it together. And you know, you don't know who I used to be. And all the things that you see in me that you have said that you appreciate or admire, I can promise you that is not where God found me. I was a different person when God found me, an altogether different way of life. And so I think it's very important for us, just like Paul, to admit the mistakes that we have made and admit the mistakes that we still make. Not in a prideful way, like, hey, I'm just keeping it real. This is all good. And you know what? Y'all can deal with it. I'm not planning on changing. But ultimately, being a person who says, I am not what I need to be. But by grace, I am better than I used to be. And I'm not finished yet because God is still working on me and in me. And that's what we should be moving towards rather than just simply being satisfied with where we're at. Let's go just a quick deeper here in this, this admitting our mistakes, the Damascus Road. Jesus came to save sinners, Paul wrote, of whom I am the worst. This is Paul at the end of his life, not just at the beginning of his walk with God. He said, you know what? Jesus Christ came to save sinners, and I'm the worst. And he had already changed so much of his life to live a holy life. But the longer you walk with God, the more you realize that you've got a lot that's going on in your life that is not God-honoring, that is still, I'm not yet crucified with Christ. And so I encourage you, just like Paul, we admit our mistakes, we make that a part of who we are, and then I'll go to this one too, the John Mark situation. I didn't really go into this message uh, during this message series, but you guys know that there was a huge disagreement between two missionaries, one named John Mark and one named Paul. And they had such a sharp disagreement. You can go to this next slide. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted ways and basically said, you go your way and I'm gonna go my way and let's not meet again because I don't wanna work with you anymore. And so the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes we forget that that's who Paul was when he was a missionary. We think that whenever we give our heart to God, it's never going to be a problem and it's never going to be something where we need to adjust ourselves or check ourselves and realize that we're still making mistakes. And the truth of the matter is, is that I love that the the Bible includes this because it tells us that this is how things go, that life doesn't change and become perfect whenever we give our heart to the Lord. And this is a very specific thing that we can all understand and appreciate. Relationships tend to bring out the best in us, but also bring out the worst in us. Can I get an amen? Hey, I don't want y'all giving anybody an elbow. I just want an amen, all right? You know what I'm saying? Because the truth is, is that for you and for me, it's real easy to be this high and mighty and idealistic person. And that's why God said, no, no, no. You can't say you love me, but you don't love the people that I've created to live alongside of you. The truth of the matter is, is that God said that we are to love our brother. Whenever we say we love God who we have not seen, we can't say I love God who I have not seen, and yet I hate my brother who I have seen. He said, that's not how it works. And the truth of the matter is, is that here in John Mark's situation, 
Paul learned a lesson. He had an idea of what was right and what was wrong. And uh, I'll encourage you guys, we're going to go into this in the pastoral letters just a little bit uh, down the road, not this coming Wednesday, but the next. But I want to go to this next slide. If you go to this next slide here, this is Paul at the very end of his life, probably the last chapter of what he's ever written, a letter that he wrote to Timothy. And he says to Timothy, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. I'm this close to death, Timothy. I can see it from here. I already know that I'm not getting out of this prison cell. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to do your best to come quickly to me. And when you come, I want you to bring John Mark because he is a benefit to me in my ministry. In other words, he's saying that disagreement that I had, I have at least half of that blame. And by the way, I want to say something to you guys. For most of us, we're so ready to tell somebody else that they are wronger than we are wrong. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, I might be wrong, but they're wronger, right? That's not what we're supposed to do. That's not what Paul did. He didn't say, I was wrong and he was wrong. He just simply said, you know what? Bring him here so that he can be reunited with me and I can be reunited with him. And I love that because here's what I would say. I don't know that they ever had an opportunity to bury the hatchet before, but I will say this, either way, it's good. Either they had already buried the hatchet and he just wanted to see him one last time, or he was on his deathbed and said, you know what? There's one more thing I need to fix. And that is bring John Mark to me. So either way it is, whatever truth that you believe we don't know for sure because the scriptures, doesn't, they don't go into all of that. But here's what I do know. He said, I was wrong. Bring him here. I want to be reconciled to him. Admitting your mistakes makes you a bigger person. And by the way, strength impresses, vulnerability impacts. I don't want you to miss it. Strength impresses, but vulnerability impacts. And Paul was willing to be vulnerable. Okay, so let's keep going here. Let's talk about, let's go to characteristic number two, if you don't mind, uh, slide number 13, characteristic number two, go all in on doing what is right. I will just say this, and we're gonna keep moving pretty quickly, but go to our next slide, just go a little deeper. Paul was all in. When the Macedonian call came, he went. When he had a thorn in the flesh, he didn't stop. And then this passage of scripture that Paul read just a few moments ago from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, I want to do something. I want to do something. Okay, now, I want you guys to get your hand ready, okay? You guys get your, get your hand ready, get it warmed up, all right? Here we go. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put yourself in Paul's sandals, and I'm going to start reading the list of what he had to endure. And when you think you honestly would have stopped serving God, uh, just let's just be honest. Can we, all, can we just all be honest in this cone of honesty? Whenever you feel like you would have stopped following God's advice when you had to deal with all these things, I want you to lift your hand. Can y'all do that? Y'all all understand? All right, so here it goes. He says, are they servants of Christ? I'm more. <laughs> you want to follow these people? 
you know, saying that there's something. I'm telling you, I've been through more because I've tried harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. Now, how many of you would think you might stop following God whenever you got thrown in prison for it? Can I be, anybody in here going to be honest? Oh, all of y'all are good with being in prison. Okay, cool. And what about being flogged? Any of y'all? All right, that's probably far enough. I'm probably in the wrong line of business. Okay, what about being exposed to death again and again? Five times. I receive from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Is anybody going to raise their hand? All right. Hey, let me tell you something. It's not getting to five for me. (laughs) The first time is more than enough. Like they give me one or two. I'm like, okay, you know what? (laughs) I'm going to reconsider my path in life. He keeps going. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Y'all don't have to keep raising your hand, but y'all get the point. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I was spent a night and a day in the open sea. And that one right there is more than enough for me. I would have had dreams of sharks for the entire life after that point forward. That's just me. But I'm telling you, what I love about this passage of scripture and why I asked Paul to read it was, where does Paul stop being driven to give the message of Christ no matter what. It just, he won't stop. He will not stop. Now, let me ask you a question. What's the thing that you have to encounter where you cease to follow God? Where you say, I've gone far enough and no more am I gonna do and try to accomplish God's will? Because you know what? It's embarrassingly far shorter than what his list would be for me. But here's what I would say. If you're truly crucified with Christ, if you're truly surrendered for Christ, the list should be getting longer and longer and longer each and every day. And if it's not, can I just submit to you that maybe you're not on the right path or maybe you're on that path, but you're not going in the right direction? All right. All right, enough said. Let's keep going here. Um, I do want to. I want to put this up. Let's put up the attitude declaration, if you don't mind. Yeah, uh, I got this from Brendan. <laughs> Brendan, you made the you made the uh, the sermon. Sorry, buddy. But yes, I've I've read this last week and I love it so much. If you read it from top to bottom, it is absolutely a terrible, terrible attitude. But if you read it from bottom to top, it is totally different. So I encourage you guys to think about what kind of attitude and what kind of direction do you take in the things that you do in this attitude. And that is characteristic number three. Attitude really is everything. Attitude is truly everything. And uh, in Paul's life, it was always on point, it seemed like. Even when he faced the worst kinds of things, his attitude would not break. He would not crumble. Let's go to our next slide here, and then we'll jump back to that. Real quickly, do you remember in the Philippian jail? He would not stop. Do you remember the shipwreck situation? He did not stop. Remember the prison epistles? When that four-year period that I talked about where he was in jail for four straight years, and instead of just being a person who was stuck there, He began writing what we now know as the book of Philippians 
Colossians, Ephesians, the book of Philemon. He wrote other prison epistles, including 2 Timothy. And it just goes on and on how Paul was faithful because his attitude never got off track. And I'm here to tell you in these characteristics, if you look at them very quickly, that attitude is so incredibly important. Now let's go to that attitude declaration and you can check it out and make sure. And you don't even have to move to the next slide. You can just hang right there, Colin, but I will tell you this. When Paul was in prison, the, the Bible tells us, and by Paul's own admission, he said, you know what the truth is, is that I can remember that basically almost everybody in the Roman and palace guard has come to hear about the gospel through me. And most Bible scholars tell us that about 9,000 people were probably included in that group. Almost 9,000 people that Paul had a chance to share the gospel with that had probably never heard it. But all because instead of being upset that he was in prison for something that he didn't do wrong, he said, you know what, my attitude is gonna stay on point and I'm gonna keep moving forward on what God has for me. So very quickly, let's go to characteristic number four. Characteristic number four is gonna be up here. You pass the torch. And let's go to our next slide and just go a little bit deeper. Paul lived all of his life together. I have shared with you all throughout this message series about 20 or 22 people that Paul lived his life with. Whenever he was thrown in jail and taken off the board for four straight years, he already had people that he was passing the torch to. He didn't have to identify a leader. He just needed to connect with them through a letter. Timothy, I'm writing to you to tell you, I left you in Ephesus to do these things. Titus, I wrote to you, so I left you in Crete to do these things. He was living his life already by passing the torch. Now, here's where I, as a dad, can try to not get choked up, okay? But you have 18 years, probably, to really affect your kids, and then suddenly, you don't have anything guaranteed. Sometimes they'll be there a little longer. Sometimes they'll be there a good while longer. But then when they leave, it's incredible how you look around and you go, oh my goodness, that felt like it was just that quick. And I'm here to tell you, I know some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You don't wait to pass the torch until you're on your deathbed. You do it the entire life that you live. You pass those things along to your kids right now so that later, whenever they're dealing with things, you don't have to convince them of something. All you have to do is point back to where you've already been, the path that you've already walked with them and say, do you remember how we used to do these things and say these things? This is the reason why. What you're facing right now is the reason why I told you all this stuff. We did all these things. We prayed together as a family, on and on and on. Paul lived his life passing the torch the entire time. If you want your life to matter and make an impact, this is a great way. This fourth characteristic is to pass the torch. All right, so very quickly, the fifth thing that I want to share with you, let's go to our fifth characteristic. I'm trying to hit these pretty quick, and I would just simply say this, finish strong. I want everybody to listen to me real quick, because if you haven't gotten there yet, you're on your way. <sighs> Getting older ain't no fun. <laughs> Can I get an amen from some of you who know what I'm talking about? 
Man, stuff hurts that shouldn't be hurting. You didn't know that it was there. Suddenly it's hurting. It gets harder and harder and harder to have a good attitude. It gets harder and harder and harder to stay connected to a world that it's easier to just disconnect from. And the older that you get, the harder it is to do all of those things. But I'm here to tell you that Paul, the way that Chuck Swindoll says it, that speaks to me, Paul was in the harness working even to the very last of his days. And here's what I want to share with you. I want to tell you that it is easier to withdraw as you get older than it is to stay in there and stay in the fight. But here's what I would tell you. That is a path that you do not want to walk. It is a path of loneliness and purposelessness and frustration and anger. And it doesn't get easier by distancing yourself. You just get madder. I'm here to tell you, I've seen it all of my life. And I've seen people who said, I'm not going to give up. I'm 80 years old. And yet I'm still pressing towards the mark. I still see my dad reading the scriptures every single morning that I get up. He's 83 years old. He doesn't preach every weekend anymore, not even by a long shot. But I wake up and I walk in and he is sitting at his front table and he is reading the scriptures and he is making notes and he is learning of God still to this day. And my dad influences kids that are half my age They're half my age. I'm 50-something years old, all right? 50-something years old, all right? Half my age and my 83-year-old father, they tell me what a blessing he is and what an inspiration he is to them. Why? Because he hasn't said enough. I've had it. I've had enough. Because the truth is, is if you're still here, you still have a job to do for the Lord. And so no matter who you're surrounded by, no matter what you've thought, you have to finish strong for your sake and for the sake of the next generation that follows behind you that you should have been passing the torch to all along. And as long as you're here, you've still got work to do. I can't tell you what it is, but I can tell you it's true. It's true. So finish strong. All right, so very quickly, here is what I shared with you. Let's go a little deeper real quick, and then we're going to pull this together, that fourth missionary journey. I want you to know that Paul probably went on that fourth missionary journey when he was in his mid-60s. And back in the day, man, mid-60s was old. Mid-60s was like 80s now, okay? I'm telling you, he did not stop. He was still in the harness working to make sure that he finished strong and still made an impact. And then Paul's own dying declarations, I want to share them with you as we bring this to a close very quickly. Here is the dying declarations on the next slide. Paul says in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The time of my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. Now, I'm just going to stop right there, but you can keep reading. He talks about the crown of righteousness that he is about to inherit. Here's what I know. I don't know what I will say when I am on my deathbed. I might go out in a car crash and not have an opportunity to have a dying declaration. But if I were lucky enough to have a dying declaration, I want to be able to say, I have fought a good fight. I finished the race and I kept the faith. If I could say those three things, 
You can count me as a lucky man if I can say them from the bottom of my heart. Paul finished strong, and he is an inspiration still to this day. All right, so very quickly, here's the big question, and then quickly, the I apply by those five things. These are the five areas that Paul shares with us, five characteristics that you and I can easily have, but all of those are not easy to do. And you might be able to say, I'm doing one or two or three of those, but there's probably at least one on that list that you're not exactly living very well. And here is what I would say. (laughs) I encourage you, part of why Paul was so incredibly impactful in his world and still to this day impacts people is because these were his characteristics and they were clear and evident to all. And a man or a woman who has lived for God and lived well in their time has lived for all time. That's what the old saying says. And I'm telling you, we can't see it any clearer than looking at Paul. I want to be a man like Paul, not because he was perfect, because he was fully and totally surrendered and crucified with Christ. And yet, here he was living an incredible life because of the power of God that was in him. All right, so very quickly, this is how you apply this message. How can you apply? You look for someone that you know. Ah, you know what? I actually made this change, but it's not there. So here's what I would do. Let's go to the next slide, and I'll tell you how how you can apply this message. Here's how you can apply this message. You look at the things that are in your life, those five characteristics, and you say, this is the one that I need to change. And when that happens, when you identify it, when you identify it, you say to yourself, okay, this is my spot that I need to improve because there are lives that matter. As I touch those lives, God can impact them if I am fully dedicated and fully committed to them. So I encourage you, Follow the path of Paul, crucified with Christ, and allow him to be the blessing through you. Now, very quickly, here is what we see. We see this white flag. Does everybody know what the white flag is? What is the white flag, you guys? It is a sign of surrender. I've already talked a little bit about this in Paul's life, but I want to just share with you. This has been around literally since about Paul's time. And here is why it's the white flag and not the red flag or the blue flag or whatever. You can probably think about this. Why is it white flag instead of something else? Because it is probable that you have a white something or other that will pass for a flag. You might not have a red piece of cloth or a blue piece of cloth or a yellow one, but probably one way or another, you'll find at least one thing that will pass as a white flag And you lift it up on a thing and you say, I am surrendering. Because whenever you want to surrender, you want it to be very clear that you're not fighting anymore. Makes sense, right? So here is what I would say to you. You have the sign of surrender. It's not something you got to go looking for. It's not something that you got to find. It's not something you wish you had, but you don't. The truth is, is that every single one of us, we have this mental image of who is in control in our lives and whose final say is the one that we listen to and follow. You have the white flag. 
It's just a question if you will raise it or if you won't. And the truth is, is that for Paul, a man who probably was living a better life than you or I, was ready to wave the white flag and say, it's not enough, it's not good enough. I give everything that I am and everything that I'm not to the God who has called me to something better than I have for myself. So I say to you, the white flag of surrender is where everything begins to change and shift. You are crucified with Christ and yet you live not through your own power, but through the power of Christ that dwells in you. This is the point of change in your life. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to build our life in a way where you are the one who is on that throne, where when we visualize who has final say, it's no longer us, but it's you where it's no longer about what we believe, it's what you have said, when it's no longer about what we want or what we're willing to accept, but instead it becomes about you. God, help us to build our life on you. You alone are worthy of that. God, be with us, and may this be a chance for us to reorder ourselves after the pattern you would choose. In Jesus' name we pray.